After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, even one thing, unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are always with us, wherever we go. But thank you so much this morning that we are able to meet together. We are able to share your word. We're able to learn of you. We're able to be encouraged by each other and be encouraged by what we hear today. Pray, Lord, now that we will hear what you want us to hear. And I pray for John, Lord, that you will give him the words through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everyone. Thanks, Carlin, for reading and praying for me this morning. I hope you take this all right. You'll you'll know what I mean in a moment, Carlin, but I'm a little bit disappointed in your prayer this morning. Uh, If you've been here at the first service, you'll know why. Uh, Gareth Brunty was doing announcements for us this morning, and he was praying, and Gareth has a tendency to do this. Maybe maybe I heard this before, but Gareth was praying for the Non-Iron Fire and Rescue Service as they're up the mountain with the fire. Uh, just encourage, I would encourage you to do the same just pray for those guys but Gareth in praying for them then went full brethren full, he went back to his background and went uh, Lord just pray for the guys up there who are fighting the fire but those that's nothing to the fire of hell <laughs> I'd like Bronte asked legendary stuff mate. That's, <laughs> you just went there right? that was class very good uh, but yeah do, on a side note do pray for the guys up there who are trying to sort that out at the moment uh, but Bronte was definitely on brother and form this morning. Uh, today we are looking at John the Baptist again. And I'm going to dare 
people in, in, in church to, to name. I've got a quote here from someone, and I'm going to dare the people in church who have the next child to name their child either this or this person's friend. Uh, the person that I'm quoting is St. Augustine. Augustine's a good name, so if, if someone could call their child Augustine, that would be great. Uh, Augustine was a, the bishop of a place called Hippo, which is now Algeria. And he wrote to his good friend, Decorus. There you go, go for it. Next one, here's a child, call him either Augustine or Decorus. Let's bring back some of these good names. But, but Augustine was one of the early church fathers. And he's writing to his good friend, and he says this. And the way he starts this off, you know you have to listen. The way he starts this letter, you know this is important, so you have to listen. He says this, the ways of God are these. Now, that's just, you need to listen. These are the ways of God. Then let's take note. Our ears should be up. And he says this, the ways of God are these. The first way is humility. The second way is humility. And the third way, is humility. And however often you should ask me, I would say the same. Not because there are other precepts to be explained, but if humility does not precede and accompany and follow every good work we do, and if it is not set before us to look upon and beside us to lean upon and behind us to fence our sin, pride will rest from our hand any good deed we do while we are in the very act of taking pleasure in it. It is true that other defects have to be feared in our sins, but pride is to be feared in our very acts of virtue. Otherwise, those praiseworthy acts will be lost through the desire of praise itself. The ways of God are these. Humility, humility, humility. And in today's passage, we will see one of the finest, most genuine expressions of humility in all of Scripture. When John the Baptist says these words, he must increase and I must decrease. You might be wondering if you were here last week or if you listened last week, how are we back to John the Baptist? Uh, Did we not look at John the Baptist in the prologue of John? Well, we did. And if you can remember there, John was baptizing a, a, a baptism of repentance for the cleansing of sin. Uh, we were told there that a lot of people were going to John for this baptism. So why are we back then? Last week we looked at Nicodemus. Why are we back to John the Baptist? Well, John, the writer of the gospel, lets us know why we're back to John the Baptist right at the end of the gospel when he says this in John 21, verse 25. He says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The reason we're back to John the Baptist is this. John, the writer of the gospel, is being very selective in what he writes. Compelled by the Holy Spirit, he is being selective to give us, to give generations of people the most important things in the ministry of Jesus. The most important things in the ministry of Jesus. And therefore, we have this little section where John the Baptist reappears and makes this statement. He must increase, and I must decrease. And so there's something massively significant about these words that John, the writer of the gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants us to see and to take note of. 
And so let's get into this and see what God has to say to us today through his word. And my first point is this, if you're taking notes and you want to take points down. My first point is this, the world is anti-humility. The world we live in is anti-humility. What has been going on up until this point in our study of John? Well, so far, what we've, what we've, what we've realized and, and what we saw in the prologue was that John, was pre- John the Baptist is preaching this message of repentance. And, he's, and, and, and we, we know that he refers to the, the prophet Isaiah when he said that he was a voice in the wilderness preparing for the one that would come, the Messiah. He, he's preparing, he's making way, the, the, he's making the straight paths for the way of the Lord. And so he is prepping the way for Jesus. And there's a large crowd going to him. We know this. And then what happens in John 3 here is that a group of John's disciples come to him, John the Baptist's disciples come to him and say, listen, you know that guy that you baptized, the one where all the crazy stuff happened and, and, and the dove came uh, and all of that went on. Do you, remember, do you remember that, Jesus? Well, he's over here now and he's baptizing and all the people are leaving us and they're going to him. What's going on? They're all going to him. They're all following him. And commentators have said there's two ways to look at what the disciples say here. There's two ways to look at it. One is just, they could have been going, brilliant, this is the plan. This is the way it's always supposed to have been. We're just informing you, John, that everybody's leaving you and going to Jesus, and that's great. Most commentators I've read this week say that that is not the case. That's not what's going on. Most think when the disciples of John the Baptist go to him and say, listen, everyone's leaving us. They're going to follow Jesus. That this is a statement of jealousy. Jealousy. Don Carson says this. It is far more likely that their words are embittered and resentful. These are the disciples of John the Baptist. And their words are embittered and resentful. Why? Because everyone's going to Jesus and leaving them. And this is because simply left to its own devices, the human heart is anti-humility. The human heart is anti-humility. These disciples of John have seen the following of Jesus growing and the following of John the Baptist decrease. And they are jealous. Why? Because they wanted to be in the in crowd. They are jealous. They're resentful because people are following Jesus. The world is anti-humility. John the Baptist's disciples display that the world is anti-humility. Again, I said it last week, uh, and I'll say it again this week in saying this. Unless you've been living under a rock this week, you will have been aware of something that has been going on major in the news. And I, I would really love to know if you're not aware of this. If I say these two words and you're not aware of this, if you've never heard of this before, please put up your hand. Super League. No? You are. You're definitely aware of it. Are you not aware? Really, Ruth? Yeah, I'm not aware. 
My word. I love to live in your world, Ruth. <laughs> right, Super League. I'll explain it to you. Brilliant. <laughs> gives, gives me an opportunity to rant. Right, Super League. The big six English football clubs in England decided that they were going to break away and make up a Super League with big clubs in Europe. And so this was our whole Ferrari this week, uh, that these big six clubs, big six with I don't know how Spurs and Arsenal thought they were ever going to make an end of that, but they did. They thought they rocked up to the party late. We're like, ah, oh, yeah, we call ourselves big clubs. Uh, but anyway, they thought that they could do, go away from everybody else and make this big Super League thing. Right. Simply put, that was just a simple display of pride and arrogance. That's all it was. A simple display of pride and arrogance on the part of those six football clubs. But it displays this. It was, all, it was just a, a, an attempt to grab power, to grab money. Why? Because that's the way of the world. That's the way of the world. The world is anti-humility. Grab power, grab control, grab position, grab wealth. Do all you can to get that. That is the message of the world, and that was the message of John the Baptist's disciples to John. Why are they all leaving us? Why are they all going to follow this Jesus? We want to be in the in crowd. We want to have the power. We want to have the authority. We want to be the boys. And this is not the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the kingdom of God is the opposite of that. The way of the kingdom of God, as Augustine said, is humility, humility, and humility. The way of the kingdom of God is to give away, not to grab. The way of the kingdom of God is to point away from ourselves. Jesus' followers are supposed to be counter-cultural. Jesus' followers, as N.T. Wright says, would surprise the world with hope by bringing God's future reality into this reality. They're supposed to be countercultural. They're supposed to be not like the world. Wright says the way in which they would do this by bringing this, this future reality of the kingdom of God into the reality now is by proclamation and demonstration, words of grace coupled by life-giving deeds. They would lead in acts, they would lead the world in acts of love and justice, be the most life-giving bosses and employees, neighbors and friends. They would be the best of enemies, returning insults with kindness and persecution with prayer. They would stay true to their biblical convictions, not in spite of, and not in spite of those convictions, but because of them would love, listen, serve those who don't share their convictions. And you can clearly see it here, this was not the attitude of John the Baptist's disciples. They wanted to grab, they were jealous about people going to follow Jesus. The way of the world is anti-humility. And so what about us? What about us? Are we following the ways of God in humility, humility, humility? Or are we proud, arrogant, and self-obsessed? You know, most of us, 
followers of Jesus, if we're asked, we would say that we want to serve. All we want to do is serve and serve with humility. I hear it all the time. And maybe some of you will know this quote, but it's a good litmus test for that service with humility. How do we know if we have a servant's heart? By how we react when we're treated like servants. How do we know if we have a servant's heart? By how we react when we're treated like servants. Folks, the world is anti-humility. And I've been thinking about this in the context of Cornerstone. And, And so here we have John the Baptist followers, Jesus' followers, they're increasing. John the Baptist's followers are decreasing, and, and everyone seems to be going to him. What if, what if another church was planted in Rathrell? And what if that church were, were, was growing and, and, and doing well, and the gospel was being preached and proclaimed, and people were being disabled, and, and disciples were coming to follow Jesus, and it was maybe even cooler than us, because if you look around, we're not that cool. But, uh, you know, what if, what if all that happened? What would our heart attitude be towards that? Would it be brilliant, fantastic, fair play, God is being glorified, disciples are being made brilliant? Or would it be resentful, arrogant, prideful, spiteful? Alan Wilson, a good friend, told me a story one time of when he was in Switzerland uh, ministering in a, in a town, and there was another well-known pastor, preacher, coming to plant a church in that town. And Alan very humbly and, and honestly told me in the months leading up to that, he was panicking. Just panicking, because he thought, okay, everybody's going to go to that church, everybody's going to leave our church and go to that church. And he was very open and honest about those feelings in his heart because he knew they were wrong. He knew they were wrong. But the world has conditioned us to think that we must grab wealth, power, whatever. And that is not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom of God is humility, humility, humility. John the Baptist displays it here perfectly. John the Baptist is arguably, was arguably the greatest man that ever lived. And because he was arguably the greatest man that ever lived, he was arguably the greatest servant of God that ever lived. There hadn't been a prophet for 400 years, and all of a sudden this guy, John the Baptist, turns up, and he is the prophet of God. He is making, he is declaring that the Messiah is coming. He is making straight the paths of the Lord. But look at what he wears, for example. He, like camel's hair, leather belt. What does he eat? Locusts and honey. John the Baptist is an example of humility. And his response to what his disciples say, show us that. He must increase and I must decrease. Those are seven of the most significant words in all of the Bible. And they must be, must be the prayer of every follower of Christ. They must be the prayer of every follower of Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. 
Pete Meek is going to be my uh, social media, or not, my illustration uh, consultant from now on. Because in between services, he gave me this little illustration, and it's helpful. So John the Baptist says this, I must decrease. I must get out of the way. Christ must increase. In today's world, what would that be like? And Pete, give me this, so you can blame him if it doesn't work. But what he was saying is, that's the, John the Baptist comes all of a sudden, and in today's world, social media, he gets all these followers. And he gets all the likes, and he gets all the comments, and he gets, and he gets, a, big, he gets a massive following on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place. He is the guy. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. And it's like John the Baptist, all of a sudden, with all these followers and all this popularity and all this attention, just deactivates all of his accounts with one message. Jesus is here. Look to him. He didn't want any of the attention. He wanted all of the attention to go on Christ. In everything, all glory, honor, and praise must go to Jesus, and we must fade into the background. And you don't just get this from John the Baptist. You get it throughout Scripture. Look at the Apostle Paul. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? No one. Christ is everything. In 2 Corinthians, he says, We are earthen vessels, clay pots, while Jesus Christ is the glory of God shining. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, When I came to you, brethren, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul preached Christ and Christ alone and made nothing of himself. Second Corinthians 4, he says, we do not preach Christ, our, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Christ's sake. So here we have John the Baptist saying, he must increase, I must decrease. We have Paul saying, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Nothing. Christ is everything. And then we have Jesus himself who displays ultimate humility in his arrest and crucifixion. Think about, if you're familiar with the story, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. The betrayal and the rest of Jesus. Let me read it to you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook, the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When they said, Jesus, when they said 
When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. I was referring to the disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? They came to the man who had never harmed anyone with weapons. And again, that simply demonstrates the way of the world. Take it by force. Take it at whatever cost. Pride, arrogance. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, displays the ways of the world in retaliation by taking out a sword and cutting off Malchus's right ear. And Jesus, in that moment, gives a, a sort of a, a lesson a, a, by, by stooping down, lifting the ear of Malchus, placing it back on the right side of his head and saying, Peter, put your sword away. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. And he heals. Jesus heals Malchus. That's how the kingdom of God operates. Jesus, in ultimate humility, gives himself over to the soldiers. He gives himself humbly. John 10, we'll come to it eventually, 17, 18. Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to pick it back up again. And this is the charge that I have received from my Father. Jesus displays the ways of God, or the ways of the kingdom of God, in what? Humility. 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 Madeleine Longley wrote these words. We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe or by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. And there are many today who would say they don't recognize Christianity in those words. To them, Christians come across as everything but light and lovely and humble. I bet you'd never thought you'd hear me quote Gandhi in a sermon, but here goes. Gandhi said this, I love your Christ, but I do not love your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I love your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Folks, if we're followers of Jesus in here today, and I don't, don't care how well you think you're doing following Jesus, 
if those words don't cut us to the heart, I don't know what will. And we're all guilty of it. Every single one of us of not displaying what Christ looks like. And the amazing thing about that is that we are still afforded the grace of the gospel. We're still afforded the grace of the gospel. You know your heart. You know your mind. You know your words. You know your actions. You know, I know, I know I don't display Christ perfectly or anywhere near it most of the time. But I do know that I'm still afforded the grace of the gospel. And so are you. John the Baptist displays it. Humility, humility, humility. Paul the Apostle, humility, humility, humility. Jesus, humility, humility, humility. These are the ways of God. So what is this countercultural, self-denying, upside-down, counterintuitive way of life? What does it produce? What does, that, what does that produce in an individual? Well, if we take our conclusions from John the Baptist, it produces one thing, and one thing only. And that one thing is joy. Genuine joy. He says this, John 3, 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. When Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist realizes who he is and sees him for who he is. He says, this has made my joy complete. He must increase. Christ must be exalted. I must fade into the background, get out of the way, show Jesus to everyone. And it brings him joy genuine joy to do that. If there's a little book that I could recommend to you, it would be Tim Keller's The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. And I love how Keller in that book speaks of humility as self-forgetfulness. It's not thinking, you'll know this quote probably, you've heard it before maybe, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Really interesting quote that he says, both hiding your talents and hating yourself are forms of self-preoccupation, whereas humility leads us into freedom from thoughts of ourself altogether. C.S. Lewis writes this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble. He will not be the sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's just a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed rather cheerful, an intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said. And if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. John's, John the Baptist's joy level went up when he went down and Christ went up. 
John's joy level went through the roof when he went down and Christ went up. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this this week. I'm going to throw this out to you. Maybe, just maybe, if I was to think of myself less and you were to think of yourself less and to be more preoccupied with Christ, your joy levels would increase. Just think about that. If I thought of myself less and you thought of yourself less, would your joy levels go up? Well, if we take our conclusions from John the Baptist, I would almost 100% say yes, they would. Do you know who steals John Irvine's joy more than anyone? John Irvine. When I am preoccupied with myself, which unfortunately is most of the time, I don't have joy. But when I fix my eyes, and there are brief fleeting moments where I can fix my eyes on Christ, the Savior, the friend, the Redeemer, the one who gave himself for me, in those moments, I can identify with Paul where he said, I am sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. It's in those moments where we'll find joy when our eyes are off ourselves and on Christ. John says something hugely significant in this passage when he says this. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Verse 35 and 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Really, folks, when it's all said and done, when everything else goes out the window, The most important thing is that the Father loves the Son. And I want to ask us, do we love the Son? Everything is tied to our love for the Son. Our humility, our obedience, our desire to walk with Christ is tied to our love for the Son. Do we love Jesus? John the Baptist, as soon as Jesus turned up, was like, he's the one. He's the one. I have to get out of the way. The Apostle Paul, he's the one. He's the one. I need to get out of the way. Why? Because they loved Jesus. And if we truly love Jesus, we will get out of the way. 
and point people to him. The ways of God are these. Humility, humility, humility. We must decrease and he must increase. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be gracious enough through the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts that would enable us to decrease. And to enable us to do everything that we can to get out of the way and shine a light on the sun that you love. Father, I pray that our lives would not be about us, but about him. Help us, Lord, we pray. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.